0: You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
1: Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host Howard McDowell reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at Locked On LockedOnWBB and we are part of High Post Hoops which is a way to follow the women's game 24-7-365 except during leap years when it is 24-7-366 and I am here to chat about a range of topics with uh, Angel Elderkin, who is the head coach at Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina. Coach, thank you for taking the time to chat with us.
0: I'm excited about it.
1: place I want to start is just where the love of basketball started for you. I I had read in an interview you talked about uh, that you uh, disappointed your uh, elders Uh, By choosing basketball (laughs) over soccer, and uh, I'm hoping you can tell me a little bit about what it was that led you to this path
0: Yeah, when I was um, growing up, I grew up um, in East Providence, Rhode Island, which is a um, very dominant um, Portuguese um, a lot a lot of Portuguese population, you know the church that we attended um, had a mass in Portuguese English Um, so there was a passion around those with soccer um, my brother, who was two years older than me, um, as a youngster, you know, I would follow him to the playground every day. I mean, back in the day, you could ride your bike, you could walk, you know, mm-hmm. there wasn't as much um, fear around things like that. So I would join a playground in the summer and we would spend a lot of time just playing basketball, um, played a lot with the boys, kind of followed them around. They didn't have a lot of opportunities um, for females at the time, uh, but it was where my passion was. I also um, played softball, and, you know, if, if you go back to the University of Southern Maine, there's in my short season of softball, I was probably way more impactful in terms of personal statistics um, than I was as a basketball player, um, but basketball, basketball had my heart. Um, it was my passion, and during the college years when I used to work camp, I think when my, my college coach, Gary Feinfeld, was kind of like, hey, I think you have a talent here, I think you have a gift, Um, you know, why don't you pursue coaching? And so it just kind of evolved, and it's just always been something that's been part of my life. It's so
1: interesting to me. You know, I was recently talking to uh, Minnesota Lynch head coach Cheryl Reeve about this as well. How much of the pathway for women in sports seems to be based around opportunity more than whichever uh, area the talent rises. Do Do you think if there had been an infrastructure for softball in the same way that there is for basketball uh, around that time that that might have been the pathway you pursued?
0: Yeah and it's funny that you bring that up because where I let a lot of people down with soccer I went to a high school that didn't offer soccer we didn't have a girls soccer team so I couldn't play I mean I had it um, in the rec league but then when I chose my high school I didn't have it I did have um, basketball and I did have softball, um, and when I was when I was playing, not to update myself, AAU was just starting mm-hmm. to kind of happen. Back then, it was you went to the Cathy Rush. Um, and I hope some followers here remember what I'm talking about, but you went to the Kathy Rush basketball camps if if that if that was your passion, you know. But it's so, you're so right about that.
1: Yeah, I, it's a lot of progress, but a lot more work still to be done. Really interesting to me. I, I want to talk about Southern Maine. Uh, if we can, because I think it's interesting. I, I went to a D3 school as well, and I wonder what that perspective was like. You've sort of seen the uh, the essence of the NCAA programs from, you know, the high D1. I mean, you can't get any higher than, you know, University of Tennessee, uh, right through to D3. What, what did that perspective bring to you both uh, at the time and just, you know, in terms of as you've pursued your career?
0: The, so the perspective at the time, um, when I was being recruited, um, this is an interesting story that kind of like really changed me in my path. Um, I had gotten a letter from the coach, Carrie Vifield again, who basically had said to me, you know, um, our roster, we've kind of identified, he had recruited me, he'd come down to see me, I did a visit, um, and then he had followed up with a letter you know, we, ha- we're, we are going to be at a full roster. I will welcome the opportunity for you to walk on. Hmm. And at that point, my decision wasn't made. And that, like, inspired me to say, okay, I'm going to go there. And show him that I can be a part of his program. And I I think the unique situation that I was in with Southern Maine was, although it was Division III, um, it was super competitive. I mean, we played for a national championship. We were always in the conference championship game. Um, So at that moment and at that time, I didn't realize the difference in the levels until I actually Got to the Division One level, and I wasn't given, you know, the five dollars after a game and a stop, (laughs) you know, at McDonald's to get, you know, food. And we weren't riding the bus with the men's team, and like all that stuff. When I was in college, I thought was cool. You know, we get to ride with the men, and we get to watch them. And then, um, as I evolved in my career, it was like, wow. And it's funny because people say to me now, "Well, you get it. You played." And I'm like, "Yeah, but at some, I mean, I'm still paying on my student loans." And I right. played for like the love of the game, you know. So mm-hmm. that that's an interesting perspective.
1: Yeah, no question about it. And and then obviously there's uh, you know some time at University of Virginia, which you know we'll get to because uh, it's sort of in two parts. But it, it seems like your time as video coordinator at University of Tennessee made a significant imprint on you you talked about your coaching philosophy uh, in a lot of ways coming from that experience working on Pat Summit's staff I'm wondering how how that manifests itself sort of in in your day-to-day coaching philosophy overall
0: yeah when I when I got to Tennessee I had been an assistant for four years and I was uh, one of those young people who wanted to be on this fast track and Always wanting more and, and, and believing I was the best, and just really aggressive. Like my old boss at Tiana will probably tell stories like, oh my God, she was a lot as an assistant. She was just so competitive. And then I got to Tennessee, I got to take a step back, and then I was able to watch a Dean Lockwood, to watch a Harley, Holly Warlick, mm-hmm. to watch Nikki Caldwell, to watch Pat Summit. And I checked myself and was like, wow, they're really at another level. And so, you know, if you were ever there, I mean, I had a notebook with me 24/7. I can't tell you the amount of time like Dean Lockwood spent with me in the offices doing film, um, and it just puts so much in perspective. I mean, I remember we were preparing to play Chattanooga, and they were adamant about me going and driving to Ch- driving to Austin P, waiting for the game tape to bring back to drop in Coach Summit's mailbox so then we were prepared. And it was just that kind of, you know, they they just took everything to another level. And and people would think, oh my God, you have Candace Parker and you have Alexis Hornbuckle and Nikki and and I can go, Zolman, you really need a game film on Chattanooga? But they never took, they approached Chattanooga like they approached Carolina like they approached LSU. And that really smacked me in the face. And then I was able to take three really different I mean four with that personalities see how they mesh and then I was able to kind of take a piece of every one of them and add it to kind of who I was and I and I thought by the time I got to Virginia I was a way better um assistant coach just from that experience with them
1: really interesting the life before synergy you know is sort of that story (laughs) 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 there was an
0: article done yeah I mean i every Coach Summit had me record every game that was on TV, every game. So I had, you know, eight direct TV um, receivers. I was, you know, it was the Times of Tebow. I was Tebowing them, Then I would right. come in and I was recording them. And I had a film room that on Selection Sunday back in the day, other coaches like Middle Tennessee, they would call, and then they would drive to me. And I would share our tapes.
1: It's, it's long ago and not so long ago. And so it feels like yesterday <laughs> to me, too. It's it's an amazing thing. I, I'm curious, before we move beyond Tennessee, just, you know, I, I, as someone who was, you know, part of the Candace Parker experience, there's been a fair amount of conversation uh, about where she is in her career and her legacy. And I, I just wonder what you see uh, now, uh, sort of looking back as to, where you think she lands among the greatest in the history of the game?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I was just reading yesterday about her last two stat lines and where she missed a triple-double. Mm-hmm. But, and, and it's amazing. And what what I think was really amazing about Candace was um, her work ethic that people maybe not have seen, and this is like a very small story of her. Um, they ran an out-of-bounds play because um, I've never seen this in any of the players um, that I've coached,
1: they ran an out
0: of bounds play that was specific to Candice, and she came in and because she kept, she said, you know, I keep getting this shot in games and I can't make it, but I never practice it, and so a detail as such of a baseline out of bounds play, she would come in the gym and she would work on that action, so that became. A higher percentage shot like if they're gonna run this play action for me I have to be able to make that shot right. and I've never seen a player you know that intentional about um you know and wanting to be able to be great at that little detail and as you know sometimes that four to six points you can get on an out-of-bounds play can win the game and that was just an eye-opening um experience for me in in watching her and in her behavior um, when she was wearing the orange and when she was at Tennessee.
1: See, that's really striking to me, and that, that attention to detail, I think, is common in excellence. I, I, do you see, though, what she does on the court, her variety of uh, skills at her length as something that has sort of moved the game in the direction of uh, who has followed, whether it's Elena Donne, whether it's Brianna Stewart, uh, that she was sort of it seems to me, uh, a link in that chain from Lauren Jackson on out. Um, I, do you, do you think there's something to that? Or do you think she's very much her own player in and of herself?
0: No, I, I definitely think there's something to it. Cause I, I, I believe at Tennessee, um, when she first got in there and as she evolved, I think her, she wanted to be that three player. She wanted to be that face up player, um, to take the three and, and do all those things, but I think sometimes it became well, Candace, no one can guard you. Well, you're back to the basket, and then to watch her now and to see where her game's at now, it's incredible how much she continues to grow it and improve it. I mean, she can grab a rebound, as you know, she can go coast to coast, she can score the ball, she can pass it. I mean, and I, and I think when we're recruiting now, and you know, there's a a good post player that's regional and you know the first thing that comes out of some of the parents is a hey well she really wants to be a three and i'm thinking oh my gosh this kid can really dominate in the paint but and i think some of our youth are watching that and they're seeing that but even somebody like candace it took a while for her to develop that package you knew she was going to have it you knew she was going to be able to do it but i think it's the true testament of her work ethic and in her games not ever where she wants it to be she's always evolving and always getting better
1: yeah and and you even see like don staley was talking about asia wilson last year as eventually heading toward what candace did so you're right i mean it 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 seems like there's this real uh let's say a pattern that uh, candace has created uh that a lot of the bigs uh are grabbing onto really interesting to see where where the game continues to develop in that way but Uh, You know, I mentioned Dawn, obviously, uh, with ties to University of Virginia, and uh, you had as well uh, coaching under Debbie Ryan. I'm I'm wondering, you you know, you were were part of a group that developed Monica Wright. What Mm -hmm. was University of Virginia like for you, and, and how did it prepare you for what came next?
0: Yeah, University of Virginia was one of those places that I don't think I would have ever left. Um I love I absolutely loved my time there um and for several different reasons Debbie Ryan um was is and always will be a pioneer of the game um she was one of those coaches that believed you know that if men got something women were deserving of it and she really fought for her players and her players opportunities um which I I thought was it was just like I'd never been around it and and it was really a good experience. I mean, she has a way story way back when where she was like, she got them in the sports bras. And then it was like to coach Monica Wright. And it's so funny because Monica Wright is now coaching. And so about five days ago, I run into Monica Wright on the road. And I, I sit there and I say, Monica, your jersey's hanging in my office. And I'm so excited that now you're gonna have the opportunity to, to coach young people and you know she turned back to me and said coach e she's she calling coach e she's like your jersey should be hanging in my office and i was like oh my god you know and it was like just having the experience of being able to go in the gym every day and work with a player that never took a possession off she made you as a coach never want to take a possession off and that's kind of the conversations like her and i had she was like you made oh pre-practice so much fun but in my mind, I'm thinking, you made it fun because of how hard you worked. Um, but Debbie just challenged uh, me, and I was fortunate because I got to do my little internship with camps with Debbie. Right. And again, when you when you talk about Pat Summit and you talk about Debbie Ryan, if you think that they don't run their camps like they want to, you know, play in the national championship game, it's crazy. It's like everything has got to be at a, a standard. And that's kind of something that, Now that I've been a head coach that I've been talking a lot about to my team even this summer is where's our standard what is our standard and I and I think that's kind of what Debbie kind of instilled in me There is you have to have a standard you know she was meticulous about players dressing alike like small things but big things you know in in the grand scheme of things
1: absolutely and and that again I feel like that's a common thread in this conversation but that attention to detail is something that runs through, it seems like, uh, every bit of excellence, you know, not just in, in the name of basketball, but uh, really in life. So that doesn't surprise me. Uh, but there's, there's another aspect uh, of Debbie Ryan's career that has a, a parallel with yours. And uh, I'm, I'm curious how much uh, it impacted you, uh, you know, when you were uh, working the camps. That was, uh, if I have my timeline right, uh, when uh, Coach Ryan was fighting through pancreatic cancer and uh, you have coached uh, through cancer as well. Uh, and I'm wondering about that experience, number one, and number two, uh, how much that played a part in your decision-making and even in your ability to, you know, uh, battle bravely the way you did.
0: Yeah, it's funny because when I went to to Virginia to be um an intern, I didn't know um Debbie wasn't like fully transparent with everyone in terms of her cancer. And so I really didn't know. I was kind of like an outsider looking in. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after I had left that summer and that was the season that it was kind of it kind of came out. Um then when I had gone to work for her she had shared so much more of it with me. And, you know, one of the things, because my mom, actually my first year there with Debbie, my mom had to fly in to tell me that she had lung cancer. Mm -hmm. And I really took it hard. And Debbie, throughout that whole time with my mom, from that day to the time my mom passed, she took just such an interest in guiding me through it and telling me, you know, go home, do this. And it, it was unbelievable. Um, but throughout that too, we went through KL. And right. so I remember when, you know, we, we took this, it was like the Virginia staff, the Maryland staff, we got on the school plane, we drove, We you know, we flew together to go to KL services. And I remember having conversations with Debbie in terms of, wow, the basketball community really, really really rallied around Kay, and you know debbie was so private that she was kind of like i wonder how it would have been and you know in in my fight and it was interesting because when i got diagnosed i went debbie ryan i didn't want anybody to know i thought i could be like Hmm. i thought hey let's keep this quiet let's keep this quiet because there was a part of me too like with debbie it hurt my recruiting you know like there were things and I said, I want to keep it quiet, I want to keep it quiet, and then I started to lose my hair. And I'm like, I really can't, I can't keep it quiet. And it was the moment when I did the open letter yeah. that basketball world really, really rallied around me. You know, Debbie, uh, again, like she came out to see me coach when I was sick, um, sent me, you know, stuff, constantly checking on me and being able to just talk me through things that people wanted. But, it's interesting how I responded, you know, after my experience. But then when I did open up, just how the basketball community responded and how, again, it gave me another gear to keep fighting harder.
1: You spoke about the two hours that you were coaching as being so important uh, <laughs> to your, uh, you know, beyond physical recovery, your emotional recovery. And, and I just I, I wonder how you used that, at the time and what role you feel like that played uh, just in, in terms of your day-to-day which is a, you know obviously being able to focus on that on that on that sense of normalcy in your life had to be so significant
0: it was and so basically you know my aunt had come in and take care of me I had different people that were taking care of me mm-hmm. and I could wake up and not want to eat and not feel good and the okay. carrot that was always dangled was if you don't eat, we're not going to let you go to practice today. If you don't do this, we're not going to let you do that. And so I saw myself as somebody that wanted to be around my team so bad and wanted to have some normalcy that I forced myself at times to eat. So when I have other people that I speak to that are going through it, they're like, I'm just not hungry. I'm just not this. And I always Think back of how grateful I was because that could have been me, but mm-hmm. I I didn't allow it because I wanted those two hours. No matter how bad I felt, I wanted to be there because it gave me it gave me that hey you got to eat so you can be there. And, and my my family was was strict with me, you know hey if you don't lay down at this time we're not going to let you. Um, but I knew there were two hours a day, and, and I would tell my team this. There were times where my blood count was so low, you know. so the average person, they would look, the doctor would look at my blood count and be like, wow. And I would be up at practice yelling and screaming. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I did it, but I didn't, and I told them this, I didn't know about mental toughness. You know, we tell our kids as coaches, we all tell them they gotta be mentally tough. I didn't know what it was until I physically had to find mental toughness to find two hours to stand up and, and coach them.
1: Has it changed any aspect of your day-to-day life, either coaching or beyond, to have experienced this and to, and again—to go through it at such a young age is also, uh, you know, relatively uncommon. I'm, I'm wondering what impact you feel like it's had on your life going forward.
0: It's had it's—it's it's really put a lot in perspective. And prior to me being diagnosed, I was so focused and so tunnel vision on missing appointments and not taking care of myself the way that I needed to take care of myself that this kind of really shook me and it kind of slapped me in the face of if you don't take care of yourself you're not going to be able to do it what you love and Mm -hmm. like even now um this morning I'm on the football field and I'm running and the players are like you know they're cheering me on and they, they say stuff to me and, and like I say to them I, I, I just don't want to coach you this season I want to I want to be coaching for a long time mm-hmm. so for me to be able to do that I got to take an extra interest in in me I got to take an extra interest in being healthy and having a good diet and doing the right things and prior to being diagnosed I didn't you know a lot of people are like man you saved your life by being persistent with the doctors but honestly full transparency i went i went two to three years with symptoms that i just plowed through ignored i thought it was normal because i'm going to tell you right now i feel great so i I look back now and i say i was really sick but i ignored it because i thought basketball and everything was just so more important but nothing's more important than your yourself and your, your total health So I I think it was is a huge eye-opening experience
1: for me. No question. I'm just in awe of uh, it. It's hard enough uh, to to run uh, a a D1 program, let alone uh, to be doing it while you fought through it. So uh, just just a remarkable thing. I want to talk about the specifics of your program as well, if we can. Uh, And you know, having uh, done this at so many different stops as an assistant, I'm wondering what it was. Uh, that spoke to you about Appalachian State where you said, you know, look, this is where I want to build.
0: Yeah, I um, I went to graduate school at East Tennessee State, um, which is like 45 miles, by an hour and a half away. Mm-hmm. And we used to come over to Boone to watch football games. And I always really, really loved the campus. And it was weird because about... Um, I don't know if it was like six months or so before I heard the job opened up, I had done a trip and I had come through here. And I said, wow, they've really built this place up. This would be a great, a, a, just a great opportunity, a great place. Um, and, I, and I had that conversation. I had also um, signed with an agent um, that year before, like in the April and the May, when you kind of look for jobs. I was at LSU um, and I was, I was contacted um, about, two head coaching opportunities i interviewed for both of them and i didn't get them and at that point um i had an agent that had contacted me so i had signed on with him and he had me list you know three schools that would be my dream job and appalachian state was one of them Interesting. and so i'll never forget it was like i was making the trek back to baton rouge which halfway is about johnson city boone area and i'd gotten a text message I think it's going to, op- I think Appalachian State's going to open up. And I said, wow. And then I had talked with my boss at the time, Nikki Caldwell, and, she- and she's unbelievable. Um, I had said, you know, this is not good timing, Nikki. I know that. Um, I want to know what you think. And she said, you know, Angel, if you're going to have an opportunity, like I'm never going to hold you back from that because mm-hmm. you never know when you're going to get another opportunity. And so, you know, I I got to interview and on my interview, the thing that stood out, it, it's Pat Summit, it's her voice, it's you win in life with the people that you surround yourself with. And this Appalachian State community is unbelievable. The people here just just set it off. Um just in terms of the college town, the atmosphere, the football program. And so, I just got that feeling like if you surround yourself with the right people, you can win there. Um and I'd love the opportunity to be able to take this program to the next level. And, and you know, if you look back at, at my career in the years, would I think that they have, would have looked like this? Absolutely not. Um, but I'm really proud of the way that we are building it. Um, last year we, we had our lowest amount of wins in eight. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that year I think is going to be the reason why this year um, we're going to see success. Um, we have everybody back. Uh, we have all the kids. I mean, to be honest with you, the year I was sick, we signed our best recruiting class. Mm-hmm. Those kids are now going to be sophomores. They now had a year of residency. Um, there's just a whole different vibe and a whole different feeling. So when people say that it takes three to five years to build an elite culture, it does. And I know there have been coaches out there that have been able to take over programs and, and have success quick. Um, but I, I love how we're building it. Um I love what we're doing in terms of culture with our kids, and I have the right fit, the right people, Um, and I'm just excited about the opportunity to continue building this program.
1: Well, I mean, it's vital, you know, to build a foundation, uh, which was something you you really needed to do when you took over the program. You know, the the NCAA tournament appearances were, you know, back in the mid to late 1980s. So, you know, we're talking about uh, quite a bit of time. Uh, but to have such a young team last year, uh, it's absolutely the case that uh, winning is this lagging indicator. It's the last thing that comes rather than the first thing that comes with the program. Mm-hmm. So uh, it be really interesting to see. And, and I guess that's, that's sort of my last uh, question uh, in thinking about it. When you think about where you want this program to be in five years, how do you define what success looks like once you've built that culture. You know, what will be the outward signs? What will people be able to see and understand? You'll be able to see everything, you know, internally, but what does it look like to an outsider at that point?
0: I think the thing that I want, the outside, is to, to meet our players and to walk away saying, wow, that was an impressive young lady. I would want to hire them one day, or I would want my granddaughter... Um, to be around them or well, my grandson, um, that's the first thing that's so important to me is, is developing our young ladies in everything that we do in trying to instill a high level of discipline and a high level of accountability. You know, so, so five years from now, there's a standard, there's an expectation, there's, you know, when you put on the A, it's something bigger than yourself. Um, and, and I would want people that have any touch with our program to, to feel that, um, to want to be around us, to understand, hey, they communicate. Um, they really care about each other. It's not just lip service. Um, you, you see the team, the team, the team. Um, and, and I think you kind of hit it on the head, and it's so refreshing to hear from you. Like, the wins are going to be the last thing that come. Mm-hmm. But I, I truly believe that if we continue with the model of we're developing each player um, for the best version of themselves, on the court, off the court, in the community, in the classroom, I I do believe the wins are gonna take care of themselves and you're gonna see things done the right way um, in the little things. It's the please, it's the thank you, it's the yes ma'am, it's the no sir, it's saying hello to the people when you walk in the building, the janitor. I mean, from top to bottom, um, just instilling those qualities. So again, our our athletes are employable, our athletes go on to be tremendous partners, um, tremendous parents. Um, tremendous daughters and you know that's the most important thing to me and I work really hard at, at building that with our players
1: well coach I just want to thank you for all that you are doing to help expand opportunity uh, for the young women uh, you know who are part of your program but also thank you for the time and uh, sharing your vision of uh, what you've done and, and where you're going I wish you the best of luck
0: I appreciate it thank you so much for having me I enjoyed it